baby back door, baby fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. Listening to Brandon Drum. It's all good, OU fans. Colin Kennedy. Oklahoma has the guys once Saturday arrives. And Parker Thune. This looks like the year where it's all going to come together for the Sooners. This is the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor podcast. Today, it is just like a post-game podcast where it's just me, Brandon Drum. I'm here with my guy, Parker Thune, both OU Insider 247 analysts. Uh, We are without our guy, Colin Kennedy, who is having to have surgery on his back tomorrow. So prayers out to him. Um, But it is a big weekend if you are a longtime Oklahoma fan, I don't think anybody can dispute that. Rankings be damned. Records be damned. It's been a decade since OU and Nebraska have played each other, and it's been 12, 13 years since OU's hosted Nebraska on Owen Field. So mm, I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, we got a, we got a Husker here, too, by the way. He is a uh, Omahaan. If you will, Bellevue, you're Bellevue in, right? No, no, no. Omaha. Oh, you're from Omaha. Okay. We're, yeah. Parker's from Omaha. So he's going to have some pretty cool stories uh, from his perspective. I'll have my stories. We're going to talk about some things growing up. OU Nebraska, because you got to imagine in our lifetime, Parker being 23, right? 23? 22. 22. 22. Golly, freaking young. Uh, and myself being a little over the age of 35 plus three. Um, <laughs> do the math on that. Um, so I, I've seen OU Nebraska in its heyday. Parker saw it sparingly in its heyday. Uh, I don't know that you actually saw it in its heyday, huh? I don't think you did. You were two, three years I tell you old. What, when- I was, I was actually talking about this today with Steely on the radio. I only have, and this is weird because I have distinct memories of OU football going all the way back to 2004. I can only specifically recall two OU Nebraska games. There's the one in 2009 in Lincoln mm-hmm. where Landry Jones threw five, five interceptions yeah. and Nebraska won 10 to three despite getting seven first downs the entire game. And then I remember the 2010 game, the Big 12 championship. Strangely mm-hmm. enough, I don't recall the game in 2008. I don't recall the games in 05 or 06. Those are the only two games I can remember watching. You're lucky because I do. And I have one of my <laughs> favorite plays of all time 
is in that 2008 game, and it is um, Dominique Franks picking off a pop screen. Just jumped it. Oh, I watched the play on Twitter today. I saw it yes. circulating. Beautiful. Oh, it, okay, I didn't know that. I haven't been on Twitter, Twitter really today. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm still getting over this stupid bronchitis and strep, whatever I had. I don't know. It wasn't good. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, man, that was one of the, the 2008. That's really one of the only things I remember that and DeMarco Murray doing like a reverse the field run where he got a first down. And at that point you kind of knew Oklahoma was just going to completely dominate that game. Um, 2000. I remember cause I was at that 2000 game. Um, funny story is I was in the recruit section. So, um, it was loud. It was obnoxious. And OU fans brought it that day when they got up 14 to nothing. It it was like the place you would think would have been in shock, but they weren't. The fans just kept going because they hadn't seen Oklahoma be in the top five in almost 15 years. So it was weird. I mean, they were, I think they were in the top five under Schnellenberger for like a, 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 brief period of time uh, when they started out. Yeah. It was like a week when they started out like four or five and oh, and then, then they just went downhill after that, like lost to Kansas. I mean, it was just bad. Um, but, and that was a, that was a good Kansas team, by the way, they were like 10 and two and 95. That was, it was, I mean, Kansas has their moments sometimes people as <laughs> shocking as that may be, but that was the first time in a long time that Oklahoma had been, been good enough to actually stay on the field with Nebraska the year, um, the last time they played them, I believe they lost like 60 something to whatever. So, and they, um, but, um, yeah, um, there's a lot of interesting stories. Um, obviously I grew up during the days of Gary Gibbs, John Blake and Barry Switzer. So, for me, I saw the good, I saw the bad, and I saw the ugly of OU Nebraska. And then I saw the good again as, as Bob Stoops showed up. So uh, we're going to have some pretty cool stories, Parker, I think, uh, throughout this podcast. Wow, that was bad talking <laughs> right there. Podcast. Um, and then uh, we're going to talk about the game, obviously. Uh, I think it goes without saying that Martinez is going to be a handful for the OU defense. Just mm-hmm. his ability... Mm. You don't think so, mm. Brandon? Believe me, I've seen a lot of Adrian. Mar- I've seen a lot of Adrian Martinez. Um, I will say this: if Sooner fans are expecting the reincarnation of Taylor Martinez, no, he's not that. No, he is not. No, Taylor, Taylor Martinez. Martinez no, no, he could not. I, he could throw no, better I was thinking, than Adrian. No, Adrian can actually throw better than Taylor. You what, believe Taylor, that? You really believe Taylor that? had one of the worst throwing motions I've ever oh, seen. Oh, he was awful. Oh, yeah. For some odd reason against Oklahoma, he always completed some of the damnedest passes I'd ever seen. I, I remember in the Big 12 title game, him hitting a dude down the seam for a touchdown. I'm like, I thought this dude couldn't throw. Yeah. And he's scoring. All, of course, they got up, what, 17 to nothing on Oklahoma? And Oklahoma storms back and wins 20 to, was it 20 to 17? Was that the final or was it? It was 23 to 20. 23 to 20. They scored a field yep. goal. That's right. Oklahoma shut him out. Yep. Almost. It was two Jimmy Stevens field goals in the second yeah. half. That was it. Jimmy Stevens, the, Jimmy the Bob Stevens. Stoops, shakehead. 
Oh, Florida State. That was one of the best gifts of all time. <laughs> he barely made the field goal and bubs. Just like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. Um, no, but uh, as far as Adrian Martinez goes, he is. How can I say this nicely? Um, as long as the Sooners defend the read option on Saturday, mm-hmm. as long as they contain Adrian Martinez and don't let him get outside the pocket and hurt them with his legs, they're going to win this football game running away because Nebraska has zero pass offense. Zero. Yeah. There is absolutely no way you will see the Huskers move the ball via the pass on Saturday because Adrian Martinez and I'll use a meme here. He's not that guy. He's not that guy. He is not that guy, pal. Sorry. He I got it. People probably heard that text. I got a text from a recruit's dad, a five-star recruit's dad. So Ooh, we'll talk about that. Scoops, Brandon. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a bit. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on that. Then we're going to touch on, Obviously, we talked about we're going to touch on our history of Nebraska, uh, the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. Obviously, neither one of us were alive at that time, but we both know the story. We both know the game. We've both seen the highlights. We both probably watched the game on YouTube or some sort of throwback television classic. Um, And we're going to talk about recruiting, and then we're going to talk about some upcoming games as well down the line for Oklahoma and then we're going to close out the podcast. So this one will probably go about an hour, hour and 15, just like the last couple. So hope you guys are listening and enjoying our OU insider podcast. But first let's start out with obviously 50th anniversary game of the century. I still think that Johnny Rogers got away because there were so many clips on that I still, I'm going to go to my grave saying there were so many clips. I wasn't even alive. My dad. You talk to anybody who was though. Everybody will swear. Clip, clip. And they'll point them out. They'll be like, here comes a clip. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. But honestly, let me, let me ask you this. I, I just got done coaching a little league game where look, we, we lost. Caden played decent. I mean, he played a good game. Um, threw for probably a hundred and ran for probably 150 or so, but we didn't score because every time we got in the freaking red zone, we got called for holding or something like that. We got called for it, but the other team we're at home, right? You're supposed to get home field advantage. Oklahoma was supposed to get home field advantage, but I think sometimes officials and even us as reporters and fans alike get caught up watching how graceful the player is running the ball and not really watching because we're human, right? We're all human. And I think that's one of those instances where that was the case. You're watching one of the greatest athletes in Nebraska history return a punt and he's graceful. He's athletic. It was a beautiful return. And you're thinking, wow, this guy's amazing. You're watching him run and not watching everything else that's going on around it. Right. That's human nature. That is human nature. Would it have changed the course of OU history? Yeah, because OU probably wins the national title that year. They probably have eight now. There's different. I mean, but the same can be said for 76 if OU doesn't go and fumble the ball six times against Arkansas or 78 or whatever it was, 78. 
they have they have eight or nine national titles. I mean, or Jason White doesn't break his hand against LSU and his foot. You probably have nine or ten national. I mean, there's all these circumstances. There's so many things that can happen. They call targeting against Florida uh, when Manny Johnson's going down the sideline. Games completely changed at that point because OU's inside the 10. DeMarco Murray doesn't have a pulled hamstring. I mean, there's what ifs, right? But that game is still amazing because when you look back at it, and I think one of the things that people forget is OU wasn't that great leading into 1970. They got better. 71, they were really good. Obviously, they were number two in the country. Jack Mildren does not get the credit he deserves for changing the course of OU football. I will go to my grave believing that. I think he is one of the greatest quarterbacks in OU history. He is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in OU history. Everybody wants to talk talk about Steve Davis and his 35 straight wins. Jack Milgen took OU from six and six, seven and five, you know, type type program to back to national prominence in his in his time at Oklahoma. And obviously he became a quarter. I think he became a defensive back in the NFL, if I remember correctly, or wide receiver. I don't know his whole story. I did play against his son in high school. His son was a really good quarterback um, at Cassidy, but I, I, I don't know, man. Is that far off for me to say? And I think it would probably, we'd probably need somebody older to probably really solidify my statement. But even for you, you're a historian of OU football. Even at your young age, does Jack Mildred get the credit that he deserves? I think, well, it obviously kind of depends on your perspective to a certain extent and just the way that you view the various circumstances that they have, as they have transpired over the years, because you got to keep in mind uh, those what ifs that you mentioned, those work both ways, right? Like, for instance, what if Asso Pogai hits Marcellus Rivers for that touchdown in 2000? And oh, yeah. is unable to get a hand like on the I ball. said, what ifs changes uh-huh. everything, doesn't it? Yeah. But when you look at the arc of Oklahoma football as a whole, there are a lot of guys that you can credit as integral to the development and the solidity of the programs over the years. And certainly you have to credit just about everybody that has come in and played the quarterback position at a high level and redefined the standard at that position. That's what Jack Mildred did. Keep in mind, no, he, he held the rushing record for quarterbacks until Jalen Hurts broke it in 2019. That record stood for that's unbelievable. Years. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so, unbelievable. yes, when you're talking about the great quarterbacks at the University of Oklahoma, Jack Mildren was really the first. He's yeah. really the first guy that you would categorize across the entire history, the narrative arc of Oklahoma football. He's the first guy that you would really categorize as elite at the quarterback position. Uh, I think I agree with you, but I think you're going to upset some really old timers. Oh, no, because, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back here. Let me dive into 1950 OU football here. And I want to say that quarterback wise, I'm trying to find it here for you. Claude Arnold is going to get a lot of people's attention because he was really good. Um, Eddie Crowder was amazing back in the fifties. I mean, you're talking about big names and then did Tommy McDonald play quarterback for Oklahoma? 
I don't think so. I think he played wide receiver or split end in those. Or, days. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also known as wingback, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to see here what position he played at Oklahoma. Oh man, he's gonna, he's obviously one of the greatest of all time in OU history. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, so he uh, 53 season was a freshman. He was the backup running back in 1954 and 1955. He was named the starting running back, ran for 715 yards, 1956. He ran for 815 yards. Um, yeah. And won the Heisman uh, 12 receptions for 282 yards and four touchdowns. That's quite the uh, accomplishment back in the fifties, by the way, to have I would say 300, so. yard, 300 yards receiving. That's pretty impressive. Um so yeah, I, for some odd reason, I always thought he was a quarterback, but I I, I don't I want to know who his quarterback was, and I know there's going to be somebody on OU Insider that's going to comment on this podcast or even on Twitter. And if you do, I'm sorry, I don't know who was the quarterback outside of Eddie Crowder um, and uh, Claude Arnold back in the day. I am so sorry. I don't. I I apologize because I'm 38 years old. I love the history of Oklahoma. I have the the DVDs, but and I've gone through them. I do remember why OU doesn't play Arkansas because when they went up to Fayetteville, they were getting pegged by rocks and batteries and all kinds of crap, and they never, they said they would never go back. Well, here we are a century later. They're coming back. Almost it was in the 30s when they stopped playing them. So I don't know, man. Like, and I know that's totally digressing there, but just like, just showing you the history of old football. Um, I, I kind of agree with you that he was the first because you have to think like 68 and 69, what did Oklahoma do? They handed Steve, Steve Owens. Owens the ball like 50 <laughs> times a game. <laughs> Legitimately. 50 Legitimately, times a game yes. sometimes. Literally, yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was it. And then... Obviously, you had Steve Davis after that. Um, <clears throat> then after Steve Davis, you had Thomas Law and uh, that uh, uh, different kind of cat, Dean Blevins. Um, <laughs> it's what he always says. I don't know. Um, <laughs> different kind of cat. Uh, our guy, Dean Blevins, was a quarterback with Thomas Law. Uh, then you had uh, J.C. Watts, uh, Phelps. Um, then you had after Phelps, I think it was, was it, um, Bradley and then Holloway, right? That was it. And then Holloway was Thompson and then Thompson to Tinker Collins and all those guys. And then Kel Gundy, Kel Gundy, Eric Moore, Garrick McGee, Justin Fuente. I mean, see so guys, we're just naming, spitting them out, man. Come on now. We're young, but we remember, we remember, uh, what we what we've seen in the past it's called YouTube and the internet. <laughs> For you, it would be everything from like 2004 on, right? For me, it's like 1986 on. So I vaguely, honestly, you want to know my very first rem- memory of OU football? Yes, please. Was, was OU Nebraska 1985? Do you want to know what play that was? Because I remember sitting on my grandparents' living room because my mom and dad had season tickets sitting in the upper deck mm-hmm. in Owen Field. It was cold and nasty out. Thanksgiving weekend. They left Thanksgiving 
went back. They left their, my grandparents' house in Hennessy at the time because they just moved to 7th Street. And, well, was it 7th Street or Sharon? I can't remember. I just remember watching on TV. And they went down to the game, and they sat in our upper deck seats and watched Keith Jackson on that reverse. And that is the very first memory that I have. And the very next year, and I know this is an OU Nebraska, we go up to Colorado and um, Keith Jackson puts me on his shoulders and runs me through the, runs me through the, uh, the uh, entrance, the, uh, where they come out of the locker room entrance. Mm-hmm. And then um, Troy Johnson gives me his arm pads, the bike. Remember the bike arm pads that everybody used to wear back in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. Thing? He uh-huh. had those and he like signed it for me and everything. It was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. And it, there's, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, some of the stories, what, what is your, what is your first, what is your first, first big memory of OU Nebraska? Well, like I said, it was 2009. I can't tell you why that is. Cause realistically I should remember OU Nebraska games much earlier than that. Yeah. But no, I can, I remember Cody green throwing the one yard touchdown pass that ended up being the only touchdown in that game. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is the same Cody green that ended up playing quarterback at Tulsa mm-hmm. and made another trip down to Norman in 2012 uh, to play the Sooners as the starting quarterback, the golden hurricane. But at the time he was in Nebraska split in time with Zach Lee, I believe. Yep. Zach Lee. Mm-hmm. And they completed seven passes that day. Nebraska wow. completed seven passes had 39 passing yards, seven first downs, as I mentioned earlier, and they won the game 10 to three because Landry Jones threw five interceptions. Yeah, that was probably one of the worst Landry Jones. And that's saying something. No offense, Landry. Love you, brother. But <laughs> you had some freaking stinkers. Um, <laughs> he did, man. As good as he was at Oklahoma, and he was really good. Oh, yeah. He had some floppers, bro like some floppers they were bad and i mean he was he was something else um look <clears throat> I'll, I'll one of my most fond memories and i know this doesn't is isn't really OU Nebraska OU Nebraska but it is OU Nebraska it was the Big 12 title game in 2006 it had just iced in Oklahoma and it iced even worse up in Kansas city, but my family has tickets. My buddy and I go up there. We stay in the jury in with his girlfriend, obviously we stay in the jury in and we stood on three inches of ice in Arrowhead stadium stood on it. So we had our foot warmers in there and we like brought a plethora of them and sat there and wore like we were decked head to toe with like our OU gear on and, all kinds of crap and just like, like the warm OU gear, like thick. And we had hand warmers, foot warmers, head warmers, everything we could think of. The temperature I think was like five degrees outside, if not colder. Yeah. And I remember, I remember uh, Kevin Wilson calling one of the wildest plays, one of the ballsiest plays I've ever seen. So we were in that end zone where they were backed up to. You may not, you probably don't remember this, obviously, but so Paul Thompson's quarterback, you're, 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 you have a freshman tied in in Jermaine Gresham. Yep. Okay. 
and you have Malcolm Kelly on the right side. You have Adrian Peterson back in the backfield with you have Alan Patrick, all those guys. But <clears throat> so Adrian, Adrian was hurt. So you had Alan Patrick in because Adrian had broken his collarbone against Iowa State a couple weeks earlier. And he was trying to get ready for the Boise State game. And they run a play action pass out of a jumbo package. Your boy, uh, Joe John Finley, I think, was a senior <laughs> tight end at that time. And he would have been, been a sophomore, redshirt sophomore. sophomore. Or no, junior. junior I take junior, it yeah. Okay. Junior. junior. So it was him and Jermaine Garrett, but they passed the ball to Jermaine Gresham. It was like third and 13 or 14 or something like that. I don't remember the exact down, but I just remember thinking, I turned to my buddy and I said, if Kevin Wilson calls the play action pass here and they convert this, he deserves to be coach of the year, uh, assistant of the year. And he <laughs> did it. And he did it. And they converted. They go all the way down the field and hit uh, Malcolm Kelly in the corner for a touchdown. Or, or may have bombed it. I don't remember the, the, the very next, the whole series. But I know they scored to Malcolm Kelly later on. They won 21-7. It was frigid. And what, you know, what happened later on that night? What's that? The greatest freestyle rap. of. Oh, oh yeah. You were going, okay. I was, I was expecting something a little more obscure, but yes, obviously the freestyle, the freestyle Malcolm Kelly freestyle happened in the Arrowhead locker room mm. that night, right after that happened, <clears throat> maybe AD, maybe. And if you listen to our intro, that's what that is. That is actually yep. from OU Nebraska. It's the very first circa, thing here. Circa 2006, baby. Hey, look at us, man. We're, we're living. Hey, we got it going on right here. OU Nebraska, man. Um, did, did you, that 2010 Big 12 title game? Yeah. You're living in Nebraska. That is correct. You are 12 years 11. old. 11 years old. I was thinking maybe your birthday was around that time and you turned 12. So I was guessing. Um, what was it like for you being both of your parents went to Oklahoma? They did. graduated from OU. You had a dream of going to Oklahoma and graduating from Oklahoma. Made it happen. Uh, and you made it happen. You fulfilled that dream. Congratulations. Um, and you did so winning awards too, mind you. And hey, folks, I just want to give. Parker props. You all don't know this. And he hasn't told a lot of people this. This brother was a national merit scholar. How awesome is that? Go ahead and pat yourself on the back for that one, bro. We don't talk Patching. about that, Brandon. It makes me look I know like a you nerd. Don't. Hey, no, you're so <laughs> smart. That's why he says all those big words when he does the podcast, when he writes folks, he's really that smart. It's not, it's not a, it's not a front. The <laughs> dude is a genius. Um, but what what was it like for you in that state knowing in in Oklahoma being down seven? I want to know your exact thought at that time. They're down 17 nothing halftime or 17 three, something to that extent at halftime. And you know you gotta go to school. Yeah, I was uh I was pretty terrified. I'm not gonna lie. Because literally the last time, okay, Oklahoma's first six drives of that of that game. Mm -hmm. If I recall correctly, were a turnover on downs, two mm -hmm. punts, another turnover on downs, another punt. It was all Larry Jones interception. Yep. It and was so awful. to that point, like with 10 minutes left in the second quarter, Oklahoma was down 17 to zero and Landry Jones to that point in his career had zero touchdowns and six interceptions. 
against Nebraska mm-hmm. in five quarters of action. I <laughs> and they had in Domico Sue, right? Feeling, I was not feeling great about that situation. Was Sue and they still had on the team? Sue, yeah, was, was a, a senior year. Yeah. finalist yeah. that season, mind you. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, Landry Jones made it happen. And they made it happen pretty quick. As you recall, they went right down the field in four plays and Jones hit Kenny stills for a long touchdown. And then they That's got right. a turnover reaction. Just started slowly, gradually building that momentum back. And then hats off to the defense in the second half of that game, because they didn't allow a single point. Nebraska had six punts, <laughs> two fumbles, and then they turned the ball over on downs on the la- their last possession of the second half. That's how it went. Yeah, it was a wild game. I'm actually going to Wikipedia right now. Um, 23-20. Oklahoma then goes on to beat UConn by an absurd amount of points in the Fiesta Bowl. But um, so one of my good friends, uh, I was in the Air Force at the time. One of my good friends was from Nebraska. He's from, actually, he's right on the border of Iowa, like Sioux Falls. Iowa. Okay. So he's right on the border of Nebraska and or Sioux city. You mean Sioux city? Yeah. Sioux city. Yep, sorry. Right on the, right on the, right on the border of Nebraska and Iowa, but he was a Cornhusker fan, like just diehard Cornhusker fan. As and they are. <clears throat> are they all, is that really a Cornhusker area? Sioux city? Well, yeah. Sioux city is quite literally directly on the border between Iowa and Nebraska. So mm-hmm. South Sioux city is in Nebraska. There is a town called South Sioux city, Nebraska, but Sioux city proper is just across the river in Iowa. Okay. So he's from that area, but he's just a diehard Cornhusker fan. Not really big into the, he actually hates the Iowa Hawkeyes. And it was just wild to me. It was like, you're from Iowa. How's that work? He goes, I grew up Nebraska always won. And my family went to Nebraska. So that's where, you know, whatever. And so he and I had to work together uh, in the same office um, when I was in the air force and I was dreading when they were up. Cause I was getting so many text messages from him. Just every time something happened, it was ha ha this Adrian Martinez, this blah, 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 blah. Um, and yeah, Oklahoma came back and won. I remember thinking after that Kenny Stills bomb that I didn't think Nebraska could stop Oklahoma at that point after that, because you just kind of felt everything tilt real quick because Mm -hmm. Oklahoma's defense was really good that year in 2010. Um, That was the last really solid Oklahoma defense until 2015. They, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. I mean to say the 2013 defense was really good for Oklahoma. Uh, the team that went against Nebraska in 2014 and 2015 were decent, but after 2015, it's just been awful up until 2019, 2020 and 2021. Uh, they've had a lot better defenses since then, but they had like a three or four year span where it was just putrid really. Um, <clears throat> but you could kind of see it going that way. Like every year it kind of got a little worse and a little worse and to the point, you know, but that's neither here nor there. I keep getting off on tangents about OU football, but yeah, that game, and I thought it was cool because if anything was going to end the Big 12, it needed to be OU Nebraska. It really did. And the fact that we don't get this game every year, it sucks. Because we're all excited about it. Like everybody, even Nebraska fans that think they're going to get their 
butts kicked this weekend are still amped about seeing those two jerseys on the field together once again, even though it's in September. Mm-hmm. It just feels right. You know what I mean? Like that's what college football is supposed to be. It's supposed to be OU Nebraska. It's supposed to be OU Texas. It's supposed to be OU OSU. Yeah. It's supposed to be OU and I don't know who else. Those are the really the three I were like, you know. Well, and if you consider the great Colorado, Colorado, OU Colorado used to be really good too. Yes, and this is true, but you consider the great rivalries across college football. There was no rivalry in the country that meant as much as no. Oklahoma and Nebraska yeah. for the better part of three decades. Yeah. Because every single year that these teams met, national title, both of them were ranked nationally, usually pretty high. Occasionally, they were both in the top 10 or even the top five mm-hmm. at the same time. So, and there were several occasions where this was a number one on number two matchup. Yep. 1987 was one of my, and I think Nebraska was wearing the all reds. If I remember correctly, like head to toe, like it was all, I want to, that's a good Google search. Uh, Nebraska 19. Can you look that up on your computer real quick? 1987 jerseys for OU Nebraska. Um, Because I really want to say they were all red with white helmets. They were what's up. Yep. Nope. They weren't. I think it may have been the year before. I can't remember. One okay, of the I'm years. Up a, uh, okay. There's a couple of magazine covers here that jump right up, but no, 1987. Yeah. It was traditional. It was traditional. White, white pants. Well, but... look, I'm going to show you this. Jamel Holloway. What year would that have been? I can't see that on the zoom screen there, but, um, yeah, if it, well, if it's Jamel Holloway, then that would have had to, had to, have, you have to figure that was 1986, right? Maybe. I mean, let me check. Let's those pull are up the, the game. Clean, those are the cleanest uniforms. Those Nebraska, are those Nebraska uniforms? Not sick though. They're amazing. Red head to toe, except for the helmet. What do you think of those, Parker? I'm trying to... Okay, right now I'm pulling up the game film. 1986, OU Nebraska. To see if it actually is... To see if this is the game where they were wearing the um, the all reds. And yep, there you go, 1986. Yep, Nebraska wore red jerseys and red pants against Oklahoma. God, man. I wish Oklahoma would pull these out right here. I just want any the white helmet, the white helmet with all reds with the old school red, the old school white helmet with, but with the OU interlock on it and the red stripe going down the center and then the all crimson head to toe. I think that would be a really, that's a, I mean, that's an old school Oklahoma look. Mm-hmm. I wish they would do some of that at Oklahoma. I know fans, Oh, well, you know, tradition and this, that man. Oh, you've changed your uniform like 15 different times. Get out of here with that tradition BS for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> like Alabama is the Brandon's only school. In not the world. about it. But they're the only school that hasn't changed. Alabama and USC and maybe Texas are the only schools that have legitimately had the same damn uniform from whatever to now. Oklahoma's changed it how many times? But yet now it's like it's an absurd thing to even remotely talk about alternate uniforms for some people. They think it's like the worst thing in the world. And I know that's not what we're talking about, 
but the Jersey conversation just got me a little ticked off talking about, I'm like, guys, it, look, I'm a traditionalist and I love OU's classic all whites with the red helmet. Cause I think their away uniforms are the cleanest uniforms in college football. I really strongly believe that, but I think the alternates, if they can do it right, can be really good for Oklahoma, but they got to do it right. I don't mind the wood grain one. I don't mind the, the, whatever they're called, the rough rider ones. I don't mind them all that much. I like the all reds when they did that with Baker head to toe. I thought that was not, of course they lost the game. Against Iowa yeah, they State. lost the game. And that's probably why we haven't seen them since then is because yeah. you start to develop a uh, negative association. A yeah. Yeah. A negative bias towards them. Yeah. I got it. I get it. But they, did you like those? Did you like that look? Did you think it looked good? I, to be honest, I, I'm not crazy about the all red look. Really? I, if I, if, especially with the rough riders, I would rather see the red Jersey and the white pants than all red. Uh-huh. Oh, that's fair. I mean, that's just my preference. I mean, no, that's fine. I like the black sock look with it and the black shoes. I don't know why. I just think that's just a clean look with everything. Um, but back, back, we totally got off on a uniform thing there, but as far as OU Nebraska goes this year, what are you looking most forward to as far as this game goes? Because there's, there's, you know, there's hype behind it with Nebraska being two and one, but not as well. If they would have beat um, Illinois to start the season, Nebraska would have been ranked coming into this game. And that would have been, made this thing just out of this world. As would far they as been, would they have been ranked? Yeah, I think they would. Yeah, probably no, they would because look at all the upsets that have happened. Yeah, they would have been ranked maybe like twenty three or twenty two, maybe. Yeah, you know, I guess, I guess Nebraska is kind of in that same class as Texas, where they end up with rankings that they don't deserve. Yes, just based on all the time, all the, the time, the, just yeah. based on the brand. So yeah, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll give that to you, but. Yeah, that that loss to Illinois, I mean, A, that just made Scott Frost's seat all the hotter to the point where if he's really out of hand on Saturday, he might not be leaving the state of Oklahoma with a job. But why would they do that? They know they're coming into a freaking buzzsaw. That's not fair. No, but it is. Like, here's the thing. The whole investigation that is going on at the Nebraska football program right now, well, I guess... I did just find out today it was dropped. So that's no longer a thing, but that seemed for all the world, mm-hmm. like somebody trying to find some reason to fire Scott Frost with cause as opposed right. to without. I mean, so speaking of Scott Frost, we can segue into this. He did try to back out of the game. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Oh, how much, excuse me. How much do you think they use? Oh my God, man. I'm so sorry. Um, how much do you think they use that as a reason to just blow the living crap out of them Saturday? It wouldn't shock me at all. In fact, I would be more surprised if they do let up because yeah. And I know no one on the Oklahoma end was very happy with how things no. in that regard. No, that was bad. That was bad. Like the, the ill will, Towards that, and it was kind of funny how, you know, Scott Frost and comes out and he's like, no, 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 like, we're going to play the game, you know, because, and the only reason why he did that is because somebody, Oklahoma leaked the fact they were trying to back out of it. Mm-hmm. And then when that happened, 
it looked made Scott Frost and that administration at Nebraska look like the biggest bunch of pansies walking the face of the earth to the point where they had to come out and publicly say, no, there's a, there's a misunderstanding. Like we're going to play this game. We look forward to getting our asses handed to us on September 18th. <laughs> Cannot wait. <laughs> oh, make mean, no mistake. That is what will happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that. And the, and the fact that they tried to back, I don't know that this game trying to word this right here. Um, it always is going to mean something because of the history of OU Nebraska and Riley's going to make sure he talked about it today at nauseum. He was like a damn historian the whole time during the press conference. Like uh, no, he kept, he kept having to field questions about it. I know. I know <laughs> we're not going there, but so he was a historian, you know, that he even talked about doing like this long slideshow with his players about OU Nebraska. He said, we just didn't want to pick one game because it's so historic. So we went through all these slideshows of the games and talked about them for like 30 minutes. And I was like, so the kids understand it. The kids definitely from Oklahoma understand the significance of this because they've grown up, even though 10 years of their life, not seeing OU Nebraska, they still at some point in their life knew OU Nebraska was a big deal. So you're going to have that. You're going to have the Isaiah Thomases. You're going to have the Pat Fields. You're going to have the Andrew Rames. Um, I'm trying to think of other. Jaden Hazelwood, even though he's not from Oklahoma, growing up being a fourth generation OU legacy, he's going to understand the significance of it. Uh, I would even go as far to say as Austin Stogner will understand the significance of it because his dad played at Baylor. And he knew the OU Nebraska. So, and they're just a, that family's just a historic college football historians. You know, they love the game. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys. Jalen Redmond's going to understand it because I know uh, his mom and the guy that helped raise him uh, that I know really well um, is very much into all that. So they're going to understand the significance of that. Do you think the other players will understand the significance of it? Or do you think they come in thinking, eh, it's just another game. It is Nebraska. That is a big name, but it's just another game. And there is one other person though, by the way, before we get into that, that has a lot riding on this game. He has bragging rights in his relationship, by the way. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Caleb Kelly, Caleb Kelly. His girlfriend plays soccer for Nebraska. So there is bragging rights on this line. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I want to know. I, I think that's a question. I hope we get. Do, are we going to get to talk to him tomorrow? I think do he we know? was on the list. Wasn't was, was he, he on the list? Oh, that's got to be asked. Please tell me he's on the list. Mm, no, it just. The email no. we got says more. It says more players. It doesn't specify. So I'm going to we request. We don't know yet. I'm texting Mike Halk right now. Mike, I'm <laughs> sorry for the late text. It's happening. Um, oh, I got. We got to get him because he's going to have. Uh, he's going to have an amazing view on this. Oh, no question. Because he's got. His he might have the he, coolest angle. He's going to have the coolest angle of anybody. His girlfriend literally plays soccer for Nebraska. He's up in Lincoln all the time visiting her. So he knows, he probably knows all those players 
fairly well on that team. There's a good I chance. Think that's, I, I think that's probably the coolest angle of it all. Um, their fiance, they're engaged now too, aren't they? I, I don't, don't want think to so. That. They're not. Okay. I didn't want to speak. That's why I asked. I didn't say definitively because I didn't know for sure. Uh, I don't really keep track of uh, the ongoing relationships of the you football players. The only reason why I know Caleb is because he, you know, he worked with us the year he tore his eight, the second year he tore his eight last, was it 2019? It was right? 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And he was working with all of us and hanging out with all of us uh, journalists because he was interning or whatever, spotting and shadowing all you guys. Um, that's right. Which I think, and he's really good at his job, by the way, he's going to, he's going to be a really good journalist if he ever chooses to do so. Um, but yeah, I think he's kind of an interesting angle, but to that fact, outside of the guys I named, is this just another game for these OU players? Or do you think they understand the significance or do you think when the crowd's rowdy, cause you know, it's going to be rocking just cause Nebraska's in town, just that name alone and the history behind it, 50 year anniversary, everybody's going to be hyped up until Oklahoma starts blowing them out in the second quarter or third quarter or whatever. <laughs> um, and we're going to eat crow if it doesn't happen. So, and yes, we'll come on here and say we were wrong folks, but make no mistake. We will eat all of the crow. Yes, we will. And gladly do it. If Nebraska fans want us to, uh, we have no shame in our game. I promise. Um, do you think it's just another game for these Oklahoma players? Or do you think there's significance behind it? Because they understand the history behind this rivalry. Here's the thing. As much as I want it to be something more significant. I know than that that's for these guys. I feel, the, yeah. th the thing about it is these guys were nine, 10, 11 years old. The last time mm -hmm. these two teams played. So even if they did grow and you got to figure guys like Ethan downs and yeah, those guys Danny grew Stutzman up in Oklahoma and, and they're going to know. Yeah. Yeah. Guys with ties to the big 12 or to Oklahoma directly are going to have a bit more of an understanding of what this rivalry meant back in the day. But you know, you get a guy like Spencer Rattler, right? Or who's Nick from Benito. Arizona, <laughs> Nick Benito, <laughs> yeah. who's from Florida. This doesn't yeah. mean anything to them. It doesn't. And so it's another game. Yeah. That's probably for the best honestly, because yeah. it means that they're going to treat this game as they would every other game. Yeah. And they're going to treat this opponent as they would every other inferior opponent and walk as long as it's not too lame. stepping on somebody's throat. <laughs> yes. As long as it's not like they treat you lame. I think OU fans will be okay with that. Um, do you think, and I know I asked this earlier, but do you really think that Riley's going to play up the fact that they tried to back out of this? Knowing Riley, no, but it wouldn't surprise me if he left his starters in a little bit more or a little bit longer than he otherwise would simply for that fact. I'm going to say he does because Riley is a little petty quietly <laughs> and Grinch is even more petty. I think Alex Grinch is going to play it up. He's petty as all get out. That's what makes a good defensive coordinator. You got to be petty to be a good defensive coordinator. That's you fair. really do. So I think he'll play it up for sure. Um, you brought up Danny Stutzman and you've reported on OU Insider, obviously. And I reported, I think I reported, what day did I report? Was it Monday that I reported that he would be out three to four weeks? And then you came in with a little Monday, bit more yeah. information today. today uh -huh. And I came behind you this evening and said, look, 
I hear he's planning on having surgery on Friday, uh, but it's a minor and he's still, the goal is from people I talk to around them is Texas. That's the and goal. I, <laughs> but you as you right said, now, yeah. Freaking Danny Stutzman is not going to be out as long as they want him to be out. Yeah, I exactly. can promise yeah. you. That's why I said Kansas KSU, even in my original report, I said, it's crazy as he is and as tough as he is. And you followed it up today with the same kind of similar report, but more in depth than I put out there. Uh, if he comes back for K-State, it won't shock anybody just because he's crazy. Like the dude is crazy. Like I told you yep. the story about him. I may have been on this podcast during uh, the post game podcast. If y'all haven't heard that, y'all need to go listen to it. It's really good. And, Going into Riley's presser into the first game of the season, first two lane, Danny Stutzman's walking down Lindsay. He's talking to this girl. He's got a shirt just draped over his neck, and that's it, wearing socks and a slide in his backpack. And next thing I know, he walks over, he waves at me. He says, what's up, John? Points at me. I said, hey, how you doing? We give each other a dap. He goes by and runs out in front of all the cars and tells them to stop. And they all stopped going down Jenkins. They all stopped, let him cross the road. Here comes, and I want to believe, I'm pretty positive it was Brian Brian Mead that was coming across Lindsay from the other that direction. That sounds right. Jenkins. Yes. I've and seen him quite he a few was times yelling, there. yeah, he was yelling at Danny, Stutzman to stop and shook his head. He goes, I don't know what I'm going to do. It literally walks by. He goes, I don't know what I'm going to do with that guy. He's just crazy. And at that point in time, I'm thinking, wow, the stories are correct about this guy. Like he's probably going to play some here. We are. This guy looks like he's the next second coming of Teddy Lehman and Rocky Kalamas for Oklahoma. And funny that was, I brought up that analogy because I talked to a source inside the Switzer Center, and they said everybody inside those offices thinks Ethan Downs and Danny Stutzman are the second coming of Dan Cody and Teddy Lehman. They said they remind them so much of those two, it's not even funny. And that is in today's, is this racist comparing each other to a white, two white guys and not to anybody else, but that's who they compared him to. And, you know, it's funny. They compared him to white guys, but, um, it, if they turn out to be that good, Oh, it's going to be fun for Alex Grinch the next couple of years, because they look like they're headed in the, you can tell the game is slowing down for both of those guys. Very much. So I think it's a shame that such one's going to be out because I think he adds a little bit of, juice to that defense because he's crazy. I think when he's in there, everybody else kind of amps up their play. Did you, did you notice they? that? <laughs> Have, did you notice that Saturday? Just no, I like very much noticed that. It's just different when he's in there. It's different when downs is in there and that's not me pumping downs and Stutzman up. Uh, we had them as four stars and all that, but I just think, I don't know, man, you heard all this buzz from people that are around the program every day about downs and Stutzman all summer long. Those two are going to play a lot. They're going to play a hundred, 150 snaps at least. I mean, how many times did we hear that? How many times were we told that this off season? We were told that a ton down Stutzman, down Stutzman, down Stutzman. 
And here they are showing out exactly what everybody thought they were going to be. And that's who they become. I know it's only two games and they're freshmen and we need to probably rein back the hype a little bit, but they're fun to watch. I think that's more than anything. They're just fun to watch. I think Reggie Grimes is another guy that's just come on. That's just been unbelievable games one and two. Um, who, who, who do you think if you're Oklahoma and you have a deep inside linebacker room, like it's just deep and it's talented. Who do you, who do you, do you go with Osamoa? Is, has Shane Witter woken up enough? I mean, what about, I mean, is Jamal Morris going to be back? He's been out for the first couple of weeks. Um, who do you, who do you go, who do you go with? at that position, Deshaun White. I mean, where do you, where do you turn at this point to get the production that you got from Stutzman in game one and game two with whatever linebacker you're going to fill in for that position? I think Shane Witter based on his skill set, is the most natural candidate, but yeah, we also heard house. Alex. Exactly. <laughs> we also heard Alex Grinch publicly come out and say last week that Shane Witter's in the doghouse. Right. So, right. Shane Witter is going to need to get out of the doghouse, and maybe this provides him an opportunity to do just that because you figure that with Stutzman mm-hmm. out, Witter, one way or another, is going to get an increase in snaps, right? So maybe this provides him the opportunity that he needs. Maybe it's the little kick in the pants that he needs to get back on track here. And he's a guy that really flashed as a true freshman last season in some big moments. I shouldn't say big moments because... I, he made a, he made a couple plays against Kansas, including one on fourth down that were really, really memorable. Mm-hmm. But he just there were some spots where, you know, were that play to occur in a high pressure situation in a big game, he would have gotten lauded all week for it, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of gave you the indication that he could be that kind of player down the road. And it's clear that maybe he waltzed into the 2021 season under the impression that he wasn't going to have to fight tenaciously for every snap mm-hmm. because he has guys like Jamal Morris and Danny Stutzman pushing him. And granted, I think Stutzman blew everybody's expectations out of the water, right? I don't think I, and we all, we all knew he was going to be good. You see my face because there are people that actually believe that he was going to be in the rotation. The second he showed up on, like I can, I can tell you for a fact, there were numerous coaches that felt he was going to be in the rotation because they thought he was a diamond in the rough. They were right. And that's exactly what he turned out to be. They were right. That's exactly what he turned out to be. I mean, that kid, go, go watch his, I I challenge every Oklahoma fan listening to this to go watch Danny Stutzman's senior film. And it looks like he's playing against a bunch of junior varsity kids because he's so good. I mean, he is so good. Um, And he's a good kid too. Um, On top of that, just crazy. He's just a little wild. Um, And if you want a guy to be a little wild, you'd like it to be your middle linebacker, right? Mm-hmm. I, well, so there's a phrase that I can't use on the, I can, I just won't do it because I try to make it PG 13 and PG here on this podcast. Um, so it can be played on the radio at some point. Um, but I, there's a phrase that coaches, especially in the Switzer center like to use as far as 
what they determine a kid like that as. And even some kids, you know, out of high school, I spell it out. They say they got a little S-H-I-T in them. They got a little <laughs> S-H-I-T head in them. Crap head is what I'll say. And you just go ahead and put it. If you got a little crap head in you, they love it. Because, yeah, you may cause a little issue here and there, but, man, you're wild on the football field. And they love that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I was standing next to uh, uh, Calvin Thibodeau at Owasso, and he we didn't talk or anything, but he was talking to somebody, and I just kind of was taking photos, and I heard him, and he said, you know, palms up for uh, – Chris McClellan during the game and because he had gotten a fight with somebody after the ball, but the, during the dead, during the dead period of the ball between snaps. And I mean, he pummeled the guy and he got a 15 yard penalty and palms are up. And he turned to whoever Calvin Thibodeau turned to whoever he was talking to and said, yep, yeah, palms up. That means he's guilty, but you want to know what? I like a player that does that. I like a player that does that because that means he's got some feistiness in him. He doesn't put up with crap and that means he's going to play hard. And that's kind of what Chris is known for is just having that high motor all the time. So Stutzman's the same way. Downs is the same way. They got some crap head in them on the field. Great kids off the field. They put that helmet on and they're just jerks. And you got to love that. I love that about them. And I think, oh, you fans are, those guys are going to be fan favorites because of that. I think they're going to love how wild they are. That's what made Teddy Lehman so great. Tommy Harris, Dan Cody. Remember how crazy those guys were? Like they were just insane on the field. And that's been lost. And you kind of see the defense is starting to get that kind of personality back in them. Um, every year that Grinch is here bit by bit. You know, they look for guys like that to recruit. And I think that was a lost art. Something that Mike Stoops lost was recruiting guys that had that craziness. Like uh, Travis, uh, oh my gosh, the linebacker that played for Detroit Lions. Um, Travis Lewis? Travis Lewis was a running back out of San Antonio area, out of high school. And comes up to Oklahoma, becomes, he was crazy. That dude has screw loose on the field. You knew as a freshman watching him run around against uh, and just pummeling Colt McCoy 15 yards out of bounds <laughs> and getting flags, but nobody cared because you're like, yeah, you're going to put up with that type of stuff because he's there to hit people. Uh, that's been lost. You know, Stryker was a craphead on the field. And those defensives were pretty good. They had several of those guys, Zach Sanchez, Charles Tapper. They were just jerks. It's crazy when they have those type of guys on the defense, they're so much better. And that's what you see with Stutzman downs, Perrion Winfrey. My God, talk about a wild child. Perrion Winfrey's crazy on and off the field. <laughs> I mean, we, we know stories. I mean, you're not lying. No, I mean, <clears throat> so there's, there's just a lot of different, I, I, the teams that had the personalities, the teams that, in OU history, if there's guys with personalities that are just kind of crazy, OU is notoriously pretty good, both sides of the ball. Um, on another note, what you reported, Woody Washington's most likely out. Um, obviously, Billy Bowman's kind of gives a. We I reported the other day. He's got. Did you report Bowman? 
I don't remember. I, I, I know I, I touched did. on it. Uh, I did the other day. I did Monday. Yes. He's got a lower leg hamstring issue. Um, He's a toss up from what I'm told. <clears throat> yeah, but you got Cradell. I just think after Cradell, what do they go to Broyles? Do they go to, uh, do you possibly move Jaden Lewis over there? Maybe give uh, Harrington a look there or Key Lawrence. Like, who do you think you go after if you want to actually get the play that you're looking for after Cradell, if after Cradell, if uh, Bowman is out? Man, I'd be curious. I'd be real curious to see uh, Key Lawrence in the slot just based on what we've seen from him in his first couple of games as a Sooner. So I like Jeremiah Cradell. I like him a mm-hmm. lot. And I think if Billy Bowman were to miss the game this weekend, he's oh, he obviously starts, yeah. first in line for snaps. Yeah. yeah. He's getting the start, but I think you could see a good healthy dose of key Lawrence in the slot. And I, well, I know for a fact, right. That the Oklahoma staff loves his versatility and the fact mm-hmm. that he can play multiple positions in that secondary. And look, Pat fields has been solid, not spectacular, but solid, which is what we've come to expect from him. Yeah. And he's never going to be spectacular. That's just not who he is. Exactly. But Pat Fields has shown no reason why he shouldn't be the starting free safety. Right. And mm-hmm. so I get the sense they'll kind of start to mix and match in the secondary to try and get Key Lawrence some additional looks. And that could provide a natural opportunity this weekend if Billy Bowman's out. And then obviously Woody Washington. They uh, look, the, I'll have a note on the defensive backs coming up because. And I'm going to put it up on, I'm just going to hint to it a little bit here. I don't think that anything's set in stone with the cornerbacks at any point in time right now. I think they feel nope. so good about all of those guys that they're going to give them all a chance and they're going to give them all playing time. They're that deep at cornerback. I went the last time you could confidently say, oh, we could probably go three or four deep on every side on the, at cornerback at OU. It's been a long time. Mid 2000s. 2009, maybe 2010. And that is a heck of a testament to Latrell McCutcheon in particular, because that dude has impressed as a true freshman. And it wasn't terribly difficult to see coming, but still when a dude starts in his second game as a sooner Mm -hmm. in a secondary that features a guy in Woody Washington that didn't allow a touchdown catch last year, a guy that's been seeing significant playing time since he was a true freshman in Jaden Davis, Mm-hmm. And a guy that earned his way onto the playing field, forced his way onto the playing field last year in DJ Graham. And DJ Graham as well is a guy that really, really looked sharp all throughout camp. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Latrell McCutcheon forced his way into playing time and that secondary is remarkable. It is. It's unbelievable. Look, you've you've also got um you've got the fact that and I, I do want to add that we missed on Latrell as far as his ranking goes. And I said this, I think we all fought for him to be a four star. I think as a site, as a whole, two, four, seven, we missed. He shouldn't have lost his four star. Should never have happened. I said that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, everybody thought he lost a step because of he came back last year after his uh, ACL tear and whatever else he had happened. And I thought, oh, we lost a step. He's not the same player. Well, that's going to happen. I don't think you're never going to get back to what you were, especially when you're 17, 18 years old. So I thought that was premature for, for us at 247 as a whole. And since we're guilty by association with that Parker, well, we, we ranked him wrong. 
We did. I admit that wholeheartedly admit that we, you and I thought he was a four star and we fought about it. We can go back and point to stories that we wrote on him saying, look, we have him as a four star. The site disagrees with this. Our, our guys disagree with this committees. It is what it is. And I can tell you, it wasn't, there's a lot of unhappiness around Norman because of that three-star deal. Like a lot of people felt he was getting jilted and I agreed with them. There's nothing much we could do though. Um, <clears throat> but so you, you bring up Latrell McCutcheon. He has, he's played really well. Was the issue with Woody Washington? Do you think that was his problem early on against Tulane? Or do you think he's just, just was it lack of focus? I don't know because he didn't play. He, he didn't play very much against um, Western Carolina. I kind of want to see him and DJ Graham get back to that 2020 form because they were dominant in 2020, like very dominant. Um, you still got Joshua Eaton. You got Jaden Davis. You got Justin Harrington. And obviously you got Latrell McCutcheon. You've got a lot of depth there, even without Woody Washington a lot of ability to rotate. Uh, that's a testament to Roy Manning and his ability to recruit, by the way. Um, I don't know. I, I Who starts at cornerback? It's been such a rotation, and there's been no real solidification of who's going to start each and every week. I kind of feel like he'll go to – I think it'll be Graham and McCutcheon. Or that's the Davis. sense. Davis and McCutcheon is who I think either one of those two combinations. I think McCutcheon is the closest thing to a lock right now that you have just based on the, Isn't way, that that the, played, the way that he's looked. It really is. It's weird. <laughs> and we all figured that guy would be DJ Graham. I think yeah. like if you, if you had to peg one guy that was going to break out in the secondary this year, you kind of figured it was going to be DJ Graham. And that's not to say that won't happen, but that mm-hmm. is to say that Latrell McCutcheon has been that impressive. Yeah, no, he has. He has. Uh, and then on the flip side, we got people got a little testy with us about the podcast because we we had some negative things to say about Spencer Rattler. He played well against Western Carolina, and people wanted us to gloat about him against a formerly one in nine FCS program the year before since he lit them up. Look, folks, Parker and I are huge Spencer Rattler fans. Like huge, like we are on that bandwagon and we are behind him. And all did we not say he's going to end up in New York no matter what? No, you'll hear, you will hear Spencer Rattler critique. You will hear no Spencer Rattler slander. I can promise you that. No, that's what I'm talking about. Like, gosh, dang people. They wanted us to go out there and act like he just won the Heisman against Western Carolina. No, he played awful against Tulane. He came out and said he played awful. Like if the kid's admitting he played bad and we're critiquing his play and it wasn't good, why, why, how are we in the wrong for that? Like that's part of our job, number one. Number two, they thought we overhyped Caleb, which that may be a fair statement. Maybe we did oversell Caleb in his one play against Tulane. I thought they should have went back to that well a time or two on fourth and short or third and short. They didn't. So what? Um, Spencer played really good against Western Carolina. 
No doubt about it. He didn't have his happy feet. He was playing. His feet were planted. He was leading guys instead of putting them in harm's way. I think there was only one play where he kind of got the guy, you know, stretched out. The receiver stretched out, and that was Darby. And Darby got hurt. And that's been kind of the the deal with Spencer. People have been saying, like, he's got to stop leading guys like that and kind of hit them in their their numbers, you know, where they can go in stride and not where they have to stretch out and they're going to be able to get hurt or something might happen to the receiver. That's been one of the negatives this year. It happened. It didn't happen again after that, but it did happen. He almost got Marvin Mims killed against uh, Tulane. I mean, that was awful. Oof. I mean, I mean, that was rough to watch, um, but he played good. I mean, I'm looking at the stats right now. Um, Spencer Rattler was, well, let me look here. He played well. I know that. Now I'm not going to be able to find the stats now that I say that. I was looking right at him just a second ago. Oh, here we go. He had a total. What did he pass for? Do you remember? I couldn't tell you offhand. No. Yeah, well, neither can I. Oh, full game. Here we go. Five touchdowns. He, I know that. Yep. Much. Five touchdowns, 243 yards. He only had one sack. He was 20 for 26. Look. He was really good, really, really good against Western Carolina. We all think he's going to end up in New York. We all think he's going to have a really good year, and he's going to lead Oklahoma to potentially an undefeated team a season. I I think we both kind of agree that Oklahoma is going to be favored in every game, um, and it's going to be hard for us to say they're not going to win the Big 12 title again. Spencer is going to lead them. As long as he's healthy, he is the man. That said, if he plays like he did against Tulane, they could lose two or three games during the season very easily. The K-State game doesn't look as daunting as it once did now that Skylar Howard's out, but they're still K-State. They're still going to be fundamentally sound, and you're still playing them in Manhattan. That's a chore no matter how you look at it, no matter who's – I mean, hell – they beat Oklahoma missing nine guys starters last year with COVID. They didn't even bring down 53 people still beat Oklahoma. I mean, Spencer has got to play on his a game each and every week, or they could lose no matter how talented this team is. And I think that's what we were getting at. And maybe some people thought we were a little rough about it. Hey, I'll take that as criticism. Thank you for pointing that out but we're going to critique these guys as best as we can because that's our job. I mean, we're not going to pump sunshine when there's no sunshine to be pumped. There wasn't a lot of sunshine to be pumped about the two lane game at all. But look, Parker, what's your reaction to that? When people say we were a little harsh on Spencer and this isn't dogging the people, by the way, I just want to say this wasn't dogging the people that harsh. We, 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 we want your criticism of us. We want you to ask us and, and ask us why we were this or that. We're answering you right now. And we love the feedback that you've given us. And I want to thank you guys so much for that to begin with. Well, and here's, here's what I'll say in response to that. The reality of the situation is that there is probably no player on this Oklahoma Sooners football team that carried the expectations into the 2021 season that Spencer Rattler did. 
Is that a fair acknowledgement? Boom. Boom. Exactly. So when he comes out in week one and underwhelms and plays decidedly below those expectations, it is reasonable, I would say, that we hold him to a bit of a higher standard because the rest of the nation has held him to a higher standard to this point and will continue to hold him to a higher standard. We are talking about a guy that it was in the conversation for the Heisman trophy and will be in the conversation for a top 10 NFL draft pick next mm-hmm. year. And who knows with an outstanding pre-draft performance and combine, he might be the number one overall pick. That's not at all out of the realm of possibility, but when a guy is the bread and butter of a team, not just as a player, but as a leader, when he is the guy that you expect to lead a program to a national championship, he's going to get held to a higher standard than everybody else. That's just how it is. And that's certainly not exclusive to us. Believe me, if the Sooners go out at some point down the line and lose a game, immediately the blame will fall squarely on Spencer Rattler Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, because that's the guy that, No, you have plenty of people and there are plenty of people in our circle, Brandon, who watch Oklahoma football devotedly. There's a very significant contingent of college football fans that does not watch Oklahoma at all. But you know who everybody knows the name that everybody knows across the college football landscape, regardless of who your team is or who you watch or who you don't watch. Spencer Rattler is the name that everybody knows. Yeah. When people think Oklahoma, when people outside of the state of Oklahoma think Oklahoma, they think Spencer Rattler. Absolutely. So that's the standard that we're holding to. No, you're fat. That is 100%. You said that so eloquently uh, is best word I could come up with there. Uh, that it, it, it's spot on because uh, as Spencer goes, OU goes, I don't think there's any other way to put it. And I said that you've said that. And so therein lies our negative outlook on his performance for Tulane because the team went as he went. He struggled. Oh, you struggled. If he goes out and plays well, the OU offense will play well, and usually the OU defense follows suit. So that is that is the truth of the matter when it comes to quarterback. The same, obviously, you couldn't say the defense played well following suit of Kyler and Baker, but Jalen, when Jalen played well, notoriously in 2019, that OU defense played fairly well. When he was having duds of a half against Iowa State or K State or something like that or TCU, the defense played awful, and I think that that kind of went hand in hand. That's part of being the leader of the team. As a quarterback, you're handed that, and you're told, "Hey, you go. We go as you go." I had to have this conversation with my nine-year-old quarterback son tonight. He played lackadaisical during the first half. And I know this has, it's so much smaller than college football, but it still brings me to my point. And then goes out in the second half and plays his out of his mind and almost helps us come back. But I mean, why did it get to that point? Because he was lax and the team was following the way he was playing. He played hard in the second half. So did the rest of the team. Weird how that works. When your quarterback and your leader decides, oh, hey, guys, I'm here now. I'm going to play. 
at any level, that's how it goes. It is the most important position on the team. So if Oklahoma plays bad, notoriously, the fault is going to go on Spencer and it kind of rolls uphill instead of downhill. So it's going to go Spencer, Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley. Boom, boom, boom. That's how it's going to roll uphill. Hey, you chose that position. There's a lot that comes with it, especially when you're a Heisman candidate and talked about being the number one overall draft pick in the 2022 draft. So before we get into recruiting, what for Oklahoma to pull off the win and be as dominant as you and I both think they're going to be, what are two things you think Oklahoma has to do to do that? They have to accomplish that during Saturday's ball game. Contain Adrian Martinez is number one, because that is Nebraska's hope of staying in the game is establishing a consistent running offense with Adrian Martinez and controlling the pace of play. Because if Oklahoma controls the pace of play, Nebraska has no chance in this game. If the Huskers can slow things down, run the football effectively and make the Sooners play at their tempo, then this becomes a game. Mm-hmm. However, if the Sooners cut off Adrian Martinez's rush, rushing ability and make him throw the ball, that's a win. They are walking out of there with a convincing win because Nebraska is not going to beat anybody by throwing the football. That's thing one. Thing two, on the other hand, I can't help but think of the shirts, by the way, when you say that. <laughs> Sorry. And that's understandable. Okay, go ahead. I think you got to win the battle in the trenches on offense. And one of the things that we have seen from Nebraska early in the season is if they have a strength as a team, if they have a decided strength and even an advantage, I don't know if they have this advantage over a team like Oklahoma, but where they generally have an advantage over the competition thus far is in their front seven. And Oklahoma's offensive line has been somewhat embattled this season thus far. And it's only been two games, but plenty of fans have raised their concerns about the play of the offensive line and the composition of the offensive line. Nebraska has a pretty good front seven for a team that has Mm -hmm. struggled as much as they have over the past few years. The Huskers boast a pretty solid front seven. So if Oklahoma can establish their flow on offense, starting up front, protecting Spencer Rattler and opening holes for Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray, and they can neutralize Nebraska's biggest strength. Then this becomes a blowout very quickly. So those are, I I agree with you. And uh, just to, I guess, have differing points because I think where you hit was where I was going to go a little bit. Cause I think that's, those are the two most necessity things Oklahoma has to do to accomplish whatever they need to accomplish. Um, I'll go ahead and say that I think the intensity for Oklahoma needs to be four quarters of intensity. I think for them to come out and play the way that they are capable of playing, I think you have to have that intensity. I think the leadership has to be there for Oklahoma. I think the intensity has to be there for Oklahoma. And I think the focus has to be there for Oklahoma, because like you said, if they don't contain Adrian Martinez, it's going to be a long day and it's, it's very easy to not focus and get out of position on zone reads. Oh, it's so easy. You can be trapped inside. You can get sucked inside. You can do all sorts of things that are negative 
on the outside that can cause you a 60, 80, 30, 40 yard gain here or there that can change the whole complexity of a ball game. It only takes a couple of those and the confidence to get flowing for that Nebraska team for things to get completely out of hand compared to what it could have been. So the focus intensity and wrapping up in space, I think is a key, very much a key heading into this ball game, because like you said, they're going to ground and pound you with, they're going to spread you out, give you multiple looks, run zone reads, run misdirections with the quarterback, the running back. They're going to try to get you out in the flat with some screens and stuff like that. You got to be able to tackle in space. If you don't, it's going to be a long, long day. Uh, number two, I think what we were just talking about with that front seven that you're talking about, I think the Oklahoma offensive line has to block and Spencer Rattler has got to be on his game. I mean, he legitimately has to be on his game. Nebraska is no pushover defensively. They are good defense. So Oklahoma is going to have to go out there and they're going to have to, they're going to have to impose their will. I don't care if it's in the run game. I don't care if it's in the quick pass game, the quick game, uh, pop passes, uh, doing what we call smoke and all kinds of things, uh, swing passes. It doesn't matter. They've just got to be able to get chunks of yardage and Rattler's got to be able to, he doesn't need to focus on Mims the whole time. And I think that's something that happens. I, I, I don't know. So I see this all the time with him. He focuses on Mims early and then almost acts like he's non-existent in the second half um, and Mims isn't out there. I think for him and for Rattler to get going, I think you've got to get Stogner involved over the middle. I think you've got to make that front seven or the, the, the linebackers account for him because after that, it'll open up. It'll slow down the rush, number one. Number two, uh, it, it'll open up Mims and Hazelwood and Mike Woods and Mario William, all those guys, Drake Stoops, it'll open up all those guys to be able to do the things that we all feel they're capable of doing. And that's the big play. So I think those are the two things that for me, for Oklahoma to do, if they're going to accomplish the big victory that we both think they're going to do. And having said that, I'm going to give my prediction of the score and I'll let you go next. I'm going to go with, I'm going to say it's a 48, 7, 48, 21, 48, 21. What do you think? Gosh, I really don't think Nebraska puts 21 points on the board. I, I don't either, but I just <laughs> feel like they're going to get like a junk score here at the end of the game um, and be able to, like, I think they'll be at 14 or 10 or whatever for the most of the game or 13, even they're going to get, get a touch a late touchdown and go for two and get like 21 or I don't know. I'm just sitting here guessing. I'm going to say 55 to 17. That's your final. That was almost my first pick, honestly, really? but I, I wanted to give them 21 points just to be kind. You're probably going to be right. And I'm going to be wrong. I honestly almost went 52. I think it was 52, 17 is what I was going to say, but yeah, I think you I think yours is more spot on. But I think I said 48-21. So we both think this is more than a three touchdown victory. So um, which I think is the line is 21, right? 
Is it? It's twenty-two, I believe. Twenty-two. Unless okay. it's gone it was still down. three touchdowns. Yeah. Um, I think I picked Oklahoma to cover. So, um, lastly, uh, recruiting. Oklahoma had uh, for you uh, recruitniks out there. There was a five-star gala on campus for an FCS game. <laughs> I mean, really, seriously. Like there was a bunch of five stars on campus. You had 2023 five-star quarterback commit Malachi Nelson on campus. You had five-star 2023 wide receiver commit Makai Lemon on campus. You had five-star 2023 linebacker target out of Denton Ryan, Anthony Hill on campus. You had five-star 2022 offensive lineman uh, Devin or DJ Campbell, whatever you want to call him, on campus. And you had five-star defensive lineman uh, OU Legacy from Tampa Bay, Lakeland, Florida, um, uh, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy on campus. So uh, it was a big recruiting weekend for Oklahoma. They also had commits Jason Llewellyn, uh, Jacob Sexton, trying to think who else was there on their official visit. Do you remember off the top of your head? On officials, I'm so far into this week, I can't remember now. So. I know, I feel you on that. On officials, it was Brownlow Dindy, it mm. was Jason Llewellyn, mm. Sexton, it was Sexton, and D- D- no, DJ Campbell was not. Jaden Rowe, Jaden Rowe, Jaden Rowe, Jaden Rowe, that's it. Jaden Rowe, four star uh, defensive back out of Tulsa Union. Jaden Rowe was also. Uh, oh, and they also had four star unofficial visit wise four-star Owasso defensive tackle, Chris McClellan, which we can't forget about because I have a lot to talk about him as well. Um, This week, before we dive into how those visits were last week, let's name the the guys that I have confirmed coming in on official visits right now. Four-star Ashtosita, Texas, in the Houston area, offensive lineman Cam Dewberry. Four-star 2022... Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and get my notes out because I can't think of them off the top of my head. Uh, I will say five-star Tulsa Union, Booker T. Washington, or sorry, Booker T. Washington, uh, defensive back, Gentry Williams will be on campus. 2022 four-star wide receiver, or WRB as he calls himself, wide receiver running back, slot, speedster, do-it-all athlete, Relique Brown. He's a commit to Oklahoma out of modern-day high school, one of the most athletic kids I've ever seen. He's He's a little... He's a little spitfire is what he is. OU fans are going to love him when he's in Norman. Um, 2022 three-star defensive lineman Cedric Roberts, who I think is going to end up being a four-star when it's all said and done. And the same goes for 2022, 2022 three-star defensive back commit Robert Spears Jennings out of Broken Area, Broken Arrow, who I think is going to be a four-star when it's all said and done. And then there's a surprise, surprise visitor that I just found out about, and it's NATO... Umiozulu uh, from Allen, Texas, uh, four-star offensive lineman who is going to be taking an official visit. Unofficially, I have Micah Tease, 2023 OU Legacy brother played at Oklahoma. Uh, y'all remember Miles Tease, uh, who was a slot back back in 2017 and 2018, I believe. Um, did he play all the way through 2019? Is that correct? Miles Tease's last season was 2018. 2018, okay, that's right. So 2018, so 2017, 2018, and 2016, he played some. Uh, Miles Tease uh, out of Brook T. He was a walk-on, earned a scholarship. His brother is a four-star athlete, 
OU's recruiting him at defensive back out of Brooker T. Washington. Mike sees OU leads big for him. Um, and his teammate, uh, literally Booker T. Washington's defensive backfield. You know this. You've seen them. They're all Division One athletes all the way down to Isaac Covington uh, in the 2024 class. I mean, they're freaks. You got Gentry Williams, Micah Tease, Jordan Drew, and Isaac Covington. Insanity how deep they are. And that's not even talking about Ethan Washington, who's going to get a bunch of looks at running back and defensive back this year. Booker T's loaded. Um, <clears throat> as far as how the visits went, uh, I'll tell my end of it real quick. Uh, talk to Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, his father. I don't want to say a whole lot just because a lot of our conversation was off the record, but I love where Oklahoma stands right now. Like absolutely love where Oklahoma. I think they blew them away with the visit. Uh, they blew them away being able to go to church with them. Uh, for those that aren't on OU Insider, there's a really cool story about it on OU Insider VIP. Uh, basically the gist of it is, and I'm not going to get into details on the podcast, but I will give you kind of a synopsis of things. Uh, you just won't know a lot of the other stuff that's going on there that will be a make or break deal for Oklahoma. But, uh, the synopsis behind the church deal is he had a, his father had a buddy, his father's a pastor. We call him pastor Dindy. His name's Terrence, just salt of the earth people. Uh, mom is great. Got a little brother. That's just awesome. Um, they show up, they go on the official visit, they're wine and dine. He said all weekend, they had a blast. It was the first football game that they had seen since Terrence and his wife graduated. It was also the 30 year anniversary of them meeting. He met his wife across the street on Lindsay from the football field on September 12th, the day that they left Oklahoma, they had the 30 year anniversary. Very cool. Very emotional thing for, uh, the family. On top of that, he had one of his good friends as pastor just have so happened to move and get a church gig at Lindsay at the Church of Christ in Lindsay. And so the Dindies took Lincoln Riley, Benny Wiley, Drew Hill, Calvin Thibodeau to church on Sunday. And so <clears throat> it was it was a very big deal in Lindsay. Everybody was shocked to see Lincoln Riley, Benny Wiley, Drew Hill, Gabriel Brownlow, Dindy, his father as well. And if you go on uh, OU Insider or you go on Instagram, you can see his father's got a OU tie on to go there to the church. Uh, just a lot of the things that went down on Sunday, Oklahoma really positioned themselves in a very, very, very good spot for the five-star defensive legacy, defensive lineman legacy. Uh, uh, A&M still has a chance, though. They're going to take a visit. The plan, I'm going to say in quotations, the plan is to take a visit October 2nd when Texas A&M hosts Mississippi State. Now, does that visit take place? I don't know. I don't know if it's a for sure deal. That's something we're going to have to see how it plays out down the road. But Oklahoma seems like they're in a really good spot for Dindy right now. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Texas A&M was kind of a... They've made a run, and Jimbo Fisher's made this one really, really interesting considering his father's going to be moving to College Station to be a pastor slash uh, run a seminary school. Uh, so 
basically be the superintendent principal of the or basically manage it, the seminary school. So it's going to be interesting to see all this plays out in the end. Um, Anthony Hill loved his visit. Devin Campbell loved his visit. Steve Wiltfong has two really good stories on that. And from that point, I turn it over to Parker. Yeah, well, I'll be catching up tomorrow with four-star 2023 offensive lineman Caden Green. And obviously, in terms of intrigue from this past week, there wasn't a whole lot of it outside of DJ Campbell, just because a lot of these guys are already committed to Oklahoma. But I will say, based on the conversations I've had, this was a really good opportunity for the Sooner commits to build some camaraderie with the guys that are already there. And you look at Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon as two of those guys that you know are going to be figureheads of this program uh, one day down the line. And I know for a fact that Malachi Nelson did get the chance to connect with Caleb Williams and several mm-hmm. other Sooners uh, that are currently on the roster. Makai Lemon did the same. And I will say that heading into this week, uh, there is potentially a bit more intrigue on oh, yeah. the table. And, you know, you get a guy like Nato Zulu in there who we haven't heard anything about in months and months that bears some intrigue just on the surface level. But you talk about a guy in Cam Dewberry or a, yeah, Cam Dewberry that Oklahoma is again, rumored to be in pretty good shape with. And mm-hmm. I know Colin Kennedy has as good a beat on that recruitment as anybody. And he is confident uh, in where Oklahoma stands right now, but Texas A&M making that a race as is the university of Texas. So hopefully we get some clarity this weekend. And obviously everybody is waiting to see what Gentry Williams decision is going to be. Caden Helms will be in town. I know that much. And obviously Gentry's bringing along Micah T's. So we'll see what happens this week. Jordan drew another Booker T guy uh, that's in mm-hmm. town. So Oh, as you mentioned, Brandon Booker T's got some dudes and I would not be shocked if multiple of them ended up sooners in the end. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, just kind of, and I, I didn't talk about last week, Chris McClellan took his unofficial, took an unofficial to Oklahoma and we reported on OU insider. He's got potentially two more visits. Now he could make the visit to West Virginia, his official, Uh, That's when they plan on returning. So next weekend, they plan on returning again to Oklahoma. They're going to Florida, Alabama this weekend. Um, And on that note, I will say there was a report out there that Trayon Webb is going to be at Florida this weekend. His father tells me that is not happening. So there's good news there on that front. Oklahoma, I mean, basically he's locked in is what his dad tells me. He's locked into Oklahoma. There are people recruiting him pretty hard, but he just isn't hearing it from right now. pretty tied in with Brennan Ennis and um, Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon. So they're all really good friends, even though they're on completely opposite sides of the United States. Uh, but so there's, there's really good news on that front with Oklahoma. Um, Chris McClellan, I've, I'm starting to get that is going back to that. The Owasso four-star defensive lineman, all these kids from Tulsa, as you mentioned, Parker are kind of looking to go to Oklahoma. And look, we're talking Gentry, like what's going on at USC completely affects Gentry Williams. Now, granted, Florida's in it, LSU's in it, but USC has always been kind of that team that's like hovered there because of his relationship with Dante Williams. He was named interim head coach 
at USC. Um, and now they have his uh, GA that's going to be the defensive back coach, I'm told. So there's a lot of really crazy stuff that's going on there as far as intrigue and whatnot. But on top of that, you have the fact that Gentry is an OU legacy. His family went to Oklahoma. His dad is a diehard Oklahoma fan. They're taking their official visit. Everybody, Gentry said, everybody's planned this weekend to be together. Micah Tease, Jordan Drew, uh, Robert Spears Jennings. And he even took an official in NATO with NATO Umiazulu uh, at USC. So these are all people he knows. All people he's friends with that are going to be there. And obviously they're going to be hanging a lot with uh, Pat Fields, who is one of Gentry Williams' best friends and Mikey T's best friends. So um, there's there's a lot of momentum going for Oklahoma. They just have to close it out this week. And if they don't close it out and you don't hear anything from Gentry after the next, you know, I give it like three weeks. If he hasn't committed to Oklahoma by the middle of October, I think at that point you're kind of going, whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? I don't know that it's going to get that far. I think he's kind of ready for it to get over with. As a matter of fact, he was supposed to go to LSU, and I don't think that's going to happen. That's the same weekend as his homecoming. He's got family coming in, he says. He doesn't know that he wants to even go that far now. He wants to be able to see his family, hang out with his grandparents that are flying in, and not have to leave the next morning and go to an official visit. So a lot of things are starting to work out for Oklahoma with Gentry. It just They just have to close it out. I think this weekend is make or break as far as it goes for that five-star defensive back from uh, Booker T. Washington. And I tend to think it will be a make. I agree. If I agree. I'm placing bets. I agree. I mean, and that, that, that kind of stems back to what I was saying about Chris McClellan and why Oklahoma is such a player now. Well, it has a lot to do with the fact that, look, he, he uh, is going to be the only dude from Tulsa in a theoretical Theoretically, he's going to be the only guy from Tulsa not going to Oklahoma if Gentry and Micah end up committing. In 2022 and 2023 classes, everybody that Oklahoma's offered would have been committed at that point, right? You don't want to be the outcast. All your buddies, all your close friends you grew up playing football with. Now they're not, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, look, I don't know. I, for me... I just think that Oklahoma is in a really good position for Chris McClellan. I think they're in a really good position for Micah Tease. I think they're in a really good position for Gentry Williams. They've got to close all these out. They have chances. Obviously, Micah Tease is a 2023 guy, so they've got more time with him than they do with uh, McClellan and Williams. So it's more of a sense of urgency with those two, and I think if those two hop on board, Tease is not long behind, in my opinion. Um and then obviously, like you said, Cam Dewberry, Oklahoma's there's some people that think Oklahoma leads for him. I don't know that I buy that. I think AM in the end is gonna be really hard to beat just because I mean his grandma's down there, he's really close with her. There's a lot of people that say it's gonna be really difficult for him to leave his grandma. We'll see if Oklahoma can, you know, figure out the logistics with that and help him understand the distance isn't really that big of a deal. 
but that that's going to be hard to do. I mean, blood is very thick when it comes to the kids and their grandparents and their parents. So um, <clears throat> we don't know a whole lot, like you said, about NATO Umio Zulu. Robert Spears Jennings is already committed. Relique Brown, everybody wants to talk about USC with him. I think you can kind of throw that out now. <laughs> I mean, for right now, I'm not saying it's over. Whoever they hire could come in and swoop and pull him. But right now, I just think with and, – and I don't know. You tell me. And I think this is a good question to ask. Does it matter who USC pulls in to be the coach at this point? Are they Texas? They're just going to be unstable. And people that fall for the so-called new stability, it's been unstable for over a decade. How is it all of a sudden going to change with one guy? Wouldn't it be like you would need that coach to stick around for two or three years at least and do better than a 10 and two or do better than a seven to five or eight and three, eight and four in multiple years before you turn around and go, oh, okay, yeah, there's, there's stability now. And um, it's not Westwood, but is it, where, where do they, where's, uh, where's USC? Yeah, it's not Brentwood, is it? Is it Brentwood? To be honest with you, Brandon, uh, LA is LA to me. That's just one yeah, entire LA. We'll just say suburbs. LA. They have, <laughs> they, they call it, cause Westwood is UCLA. Um, but yeah, so there's so much instability in LA, USC, and there has been for over a decade. At what point do you think kids just go, man, new coach, same thing? Or do you, do they buy into the new stability with the new I coach? Think- Here's the interest. Well, here's the thing. I guess is relique something to watch. Do you think? Do you think relique at this point? No, absolutely not. Like, I am not concerned at this moment that USC is going to be a significant player in the end for Rayleigh Brown or Gentry Williams. I think at this point, Florida is probably the biggest contender for Gentry Williams. Mm. Now, with respect, I think LSU LSU is a player too. By the way, with respect to USC. The reality of the situation is that that program has a very well-established national brand and they have won national championships in the not too distant past, right? That is a program with a ton of history. That is a program with a lot of allure, the big city, the cool venue, the clean jerseys. They have a lot going for them. As a program. Now, what they haven't had the last few years is on field success. However, they are not down in the dumps, the likes of Nebraska, for instance. And I hate to pick on Nebraska, but that's the easiest example right now of a program that has fallen from its former glory. With USC, all they need is one season to build some momentum. Yeah. If they get that, if they get one season, one season of 10 or 11 wins and can reestablish themselves as a contender in the Pac-12, guys are going to want to jump on board more so than they are right now. I'm confident in that. So that that's a good point. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just going to be the devil's advocate here. Nebraska back in 2008, 2009, 2010, I mean, what, 2009, they were a field goal away from potentially competing for 
What, were, what was their record in 2009? They almost won the Big 12. Yeah. I their mean, field goal look, away from Big 12. But I mean, Mo Pelini is what screwed that program. Yeah, I agree. They were what, 10? They won 10 games almost every year and they fired him because of that? Uh huh. How and stupid it was, is that? Well, and it was because he was a bit of a hothead. But players, who cares? Bo Pelini. Yeah, players who cares? Absolutely love that guy. You talk to just about anybody that played under Bo Pelini, they'll tell you he was the best head coach I ever had. They loved so, Bo Pelini. I want to ask you that. And I know we're done with the recruiting here for a second. We're going to end the podcast here in just a minute. But before we do, do the people that you know up in Nebraska, do they regret the way the Pelini situation was handled? I think there was. <laughs> There was, would they was admit a lot it? of regret. Do they admit they would it? very they would very freely admit that the firing of Bo Pelini put that program in a hole that they have not dug themselves out of yet. Man, that's rough too, because you talk about a guy that was a big help to Oklahoma's defense back in 2004. 2000, I think it was 2004 before he went to LSU to call the plays on his own. And then he ended up getting a job at uh, Nebraska, right? He was an LSU defensive coordinator, then Nebraska head coach, correct? Okay. So let me try to retrace from memory. The or did he go from Oklahoma to. Yeah. He, he had the one year at Nebraska or at Oklahoma. Then from there, I believe he went to, yeah, it was LSU. Okay. You know what? I'm just going to punch this into. Yes, it was. I got it. I got it. I got you. I got factually correct here. He was 2003 interim head coach and they won a lot of games under Nebraska and Nebraska with him as head coach. Remember they, I don't think they lost. I remember he won like, and then they named uh, Callahan the coach, right? Um, Yes. He goes to Oklahoma to be the defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator and defensive back coach. 2004 Oklahoma has one of the best defenses in the country play for the national title. He then goes from there to be the DC at LSU from 2005 to 2007. And then for six years, he's at Nebraska and at Nebraska, he was, let's look at his record at Nebraska. All time. Um, he posted, uh, it doesn't say they don't have his like wins. They don't have his overall here because head coaching record. So in Nebraska, listen to this. This is what he was at Nebraska as a head coach. This is nuts. They fired him. Oh my God. He was 67 and 27 at Nebraska and they fired I him. I don't think he ever won less than nine games in a season. If he I did not correctly. nine and four, 10 and four, 10 and four, nine and four, 10 and four, nine and four, nine and three fired. Yep. What? Oh and my have, gosh. Corn Huskers. They have not sniffed nine wins in a season since. They're still Not winning nine and 10 it. games every year with this guy. If they keep him as a head coach, what are they doing? What are they doing? Even during his time in the big 10, he was still winning. Remember they were almost, didn't they almost play for the big 10 title a couple of times? 
They did play for the Big Ten title back in 2012 against Wisconsin. They got shellacked because Monte Ball and James White just ran all over them. But still, that was it. And I think Melvin Gordon was on that team as well. But that was a team that played for a Big Ten title. Yes, that happened. My goodness gracious, man. Like, that's... That's when you need sometimes as an athletic director to have Josie's mentality and you just tell the donors to kick rocks. We'll take your money. We aren't going to take your advice unless it's needed. And at 10 wins a year, it's not needed. Go sit over there in the corner and shut up. Period. Because at some point you win 10, 10, 10, you're going to break that streak and you're going to go up and win 12 games during the season. Because at some point, one of those two ball games, that maybe the ball didn't bounce your way ends up bouncing your way and you end up winning 12 games instead of, and then what happens? You're playing in the playoffs, winning the big 10 title. Who knows how stupid was that of them? And they have not been the same since. Oh my goodness. Like I forgot how good he was at Nebraska. And they disliked him and they disliked him because he was a hothead and he would sit on the sideline or he would stand on the sidelines in his sweater and steam and he'd yell and his face would turn red. And look, it was fun to joke about, especially as an Oklahoma fan back in that day, as somebody that had no rooting interest in Nebraska, it was fun to mm-hmm. poke a little fun at the head coach who just had a tendency to lose it at any opportunity. But at the same time, Nebraska was in a better place as an athletic department than they ever were in the Bill Callahan days. And that than they have ever been since. Oh my gosh. Like, so look at their conference record under Polini. This is hilarious. First in the North, first in the North, first in the North. That's big 12 folks for y'all don't know. Now moving to the big, big 10 third in the legends, first in the legends, second in the legends, and then they moved it to East and West divisions instead of legends and whatever it was. Um, legends and leaders. Legends yeah, that was weird. Was stupidest thing ever. Um, then he was second in the West. They fired him after he finished second in the West. <laughs> oh, man. You can't fix stupid sometimes, huh? Like, And he, he won the bowl games like what the hell like i am so confused parker here's the thing and i heard this believe me i heard this firsthand from so many people when it happened people got tired of mediocrity and that's what they viewed as mediocrity at the time nine ten oh, wins that wasn't good enough. ten wins and, is mediocrity what world well, is that mediocrity in the world where you look back 20 years and Nebraska has three national titles, right? 94, 95, 97. Nebraska was the best football program in America and it was not close. And so the fact that there was being, that there wasn't any conspicuous progress being made to that level led people to believe that, okay, well, I guess this is the ceiling under Pelini and it's time to cut ties with him. And they brought in Mike Riley. And he goes down to Youngstown and plays the debacle. And then he goes down to Youngstown and plays for the national title in year two. Oh my gosh. All right, Nebraska. Well, 
You got your golden boy coming into Norman on a Saturday. I watched him throw 72 points up against Oklahoma in 1997. Oklahoma was down. I think it was like 52 to nothing. And Demond Parker comes in in the fourth quarter and runs for a hundred and almost 200 yards. And we scored 21. Yeah. 21 points in the fourth quarter. And they had like Grant Winstrom who has a cabin on Grand Lake next to my buddy's house. Um, and then they have a bunch of other guys. And there was a ridiculous team that won the national title that year, obviously. But they got you got your golden boy. What was his record last year? What was it? Three and seven? Three and oh. six, three and seven. I mean, it adds up to ten. <laughs> That's ten games played. If that's what you're looking for, Nebraska, you guys are on pace, baby. Screw Pelini. He only won you 10 games. Holy crap. Like, it's kind of like, it, you know what it reminds me of is Gary Gibbs in Oklahoma. You know, he's winning nine, 10 games, eight, eight, nine, 10 games every year. And they decided Schnelly was. Schnelly was the better. Savior. Then they drop off to winning three games. You better be glad Bob Stoops showed up or we've been rough fans. Sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. I can tell you that. Um, but hey, we're going to find out this weekend just what this Nebraska team's made of, what Adrian Martinez is made of, what this Nebraska defense is made of. And we're going to find out what Oklahoma's made of because this is going to be Tulane's good. Nebraska, no matter how you want to look at it, no matter how you want to slice it, they may not be a great team but they're better athletically than Tulane. They're going to have athletes all over the field. Oklahoma is going to have to count for all these guys. It's going to be a test for Oklahoma, at least for a quarter or two. And I think you're going to get to see a lot of what Oklahoma is in that right before you get to that West Virginia game, which thank God that's a night game. How awesome. I hope West Virginia beats Virginia tech because I want Virginia West Virginia to come in ranked. I want to see a ranked game in September on Owen Field. That's all I want to do. I just want to see two ranked teams go at it. Because if West Virginia is ranked, it's going to be back-to-back weeks where the crowd is going to be ruckus. It's going to be ruckus because it's Nebraska. It'll be ruckus if West Virginia comes in like 20th. I don't know what the odds are of them beating West Virginia Tech, but they do have them at home, so we'll see. Yes, and we don't know what kind of a team Virginia Tech is on the road because we saw them win in Blacksburg against North Carolina. Yeah, but that's true. A team like that, you know, the Virginia Techs, the Iowas, the Penn States of the world, historically are a very different team away from home than they are mm-hmm. on their own turf. West Virginia's favored too. Against Virginia so, Tech? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's that three. actually is kind of surprising. Yeah, three, minus three. So hey, we'll see. Um then you have after that, I think it's TCU, right? TCU or is it TCU or K State? It's K State. Then it's at Texas, K-State, then TCU. Then Texas. Okay. Yep. Yep. So look, hey, I'm telling y'all, um, there's a lot of good games still left to be played, but I, I'm excited about this weekend. I'm excited about the West Virginia game. I think those two matchups are going to tell a lot of what Oklahoma is this year. Um, And we're going to get a gauge to know how much Oklahoma is going to need to improve if they want to play for a national title and a big 12 title later on this season. Um, Oh, by the way, before we go real quick, 
that text was Trayon Webb's father texting me. Um, 100% locked in, not going to Florida for a visit. So he was reported to be going to Florida for the Florida Alabama game, not happening. So there you go. That's a little tidbit. You get more of these tidbits, though. Segue. If you are an OU Insider member. That you do. You do. You they get are daily benefits. Oh, my gosh. Plentiful, plentiful, plentiful. And I can't even talk because it's getting late. Um, look, right now we got it. I think it's basically a September promo. 50% off is what we're doing. I thought it was only going to be, but I'm pretty positive. I don't know if it ends this week. But look, that tells you, if you want to take advantage of the 50% off, you got to do it right now. If you don't want to pay $107 to be a member of OU Insider, like the other thousands and thousands of people that do, you've got to sign up right now. It's $53.70 for a whole year. That means you'll get it all the way up to next September 15th. That's right. You will get it through September 15th, 16th, 17th, whatever date that you decide to sign up this week. You will get OU Insider for the whole 12 months. You will also get all the other 247 sites. You can go check out on Nebraska. You can go check out on Alabama, Texas, Texas A&M, Arkansas. You can go see who they're recruiting, guys that they're recruiting against Oklahoma, what their mods are saying about how they feel about uh, those recruits, Ohio State, OU and Ohio State are recruiting. Bucknuts is a is a favorite one on our board. OU fans and Ohio State fans get after each other a lot on our message boards. Texas and Texas A&M fans and Oklahoma fans get after each other. You can go talk to them. You can go see them on their board. You can go read their VIP notes as well, all for 5370. You get video. You get uh, audio stuff. You get uh, Parker's sideline highlights that's freaking awesome like you get the atmosphere the view the plays the big plays everything as they happen right in your face as parker videos it ed- edits it loads it up so every sunday you get to check all that out you get to relive the game and you get to relive it from the player's perspective on the sideline that's a cool feature not only that you get myself parker Colin, joey dropping vip notes uh on team recruiting uh, basketball, baseball, football, doesn't matter. We've got you covered head to toe. OU Insider VIP, or you can tr- try $1 for the first month, then $9.95 afterwards. If you don't like it, you can candles and you don't have to pay the $9.95. So, hey, just give us a shot. Most people tend to like it because it's so, our board is so busy. It's gotten so big that it's a lot of fun now. A lot of fun. Uh, I can tell you that it's more than quadrupled since uh, we showed up on uh, OU Insider in 2018. And uh, we're looking to almost be five times bigger here in the next few months. Uh, And that's a lot. I can tell you, that's a lot of people. Uh, So the board is always hopping. Parker's on there. I'm on there. Colin's on there. Joey's on there. We answer your questions. I do a VIP chat. He does a, Parker does a mailbag every week where we really dive into the injuries, we can tell you who's in, who's out. Like we're breaking all this news all the time behind a paywall that you all don't get to see a lot of the time uh, because the members pay for that type of stuff. They pay for that info. You'll be the guy that knows everything, everything around that water cooler in your office. And you have the connection. You can just say your sources. It could be OU Insider, but we can be your sources. Who knows? We are your source. 
for all things Oklahoma. We take pride in that. OUinsider.com VIP. Parker, do you have anything else? I have nothing else to add. It's going to be a really fun weekend for me in particular because it is my two worlds colliding. It's going to be an awesome weekend of official and unofficial visits. So there will be lots coming your way over the next few days. You're going to want to jump on board if you're not already because the stuff that we are rolling out throughout the season is stuff you just can't get anywhere else. And I know that sounds cliche, but that's really how it is. Brandon and Colin and Joey and I go to great lengths to make sure that we are providing you guys not just the most content that we can possibly provide you, not just the best content that we can possibly provide you, but the most creative content that we can possibly provide you. And we will continue to do that throughout the football season and beyond. Um, Lastly, I do want to add, um, do, uh, I forgot what it was, oh, you said your world's colliding. Um, people don't need to know you are from Nebraska. Um, and not just that, um, man, I forgot what I was going to say. It doesn't matter. I've gone blank. We're going to cut this out because <laughs> it's getting late <laughs> and I'm ready to go finish my typing and all of that, uh, and be done for the night. Uh, want to thank you all once again for listening to OUinsider.com Sooners podcast. For Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum. You guys have a blessed night. Thank you all for listening. We're out.